Well, this morning, we, we, uh, all the youth have gone to a, a remembrance service, and uh, I know John and um, I know Dave's gone to different, to, people's gone to different services, which is fine, which is fine, it's good. It's a great morning to pay respects. And, uh, you know, it's something I've been thinking about, and I feel that we need to do something for our armed services. I just feel that we need to go that way. And uh, I don't know what, but I just sense that we can reach out into that world. You know, I, you know I've never fought a war. I've never fought a war. Never been in battle. Never been in the services. But I always feel, I feel akin to it. There's something that grabs me. And it's, it's the whole thing of honor, glory, integrity, a cause. Everything that that's, God has birthed inside me. Stand for something or you'll fall for anything. And uh, you've got to stand for something, even in the midst of opposition. And, you know, our servicemen get a tough deal from its citizens, its patrons. And uh, so I really just sense that God is, is going to open that door to us into that world. I don't know how, but just begin to pray into it for us. Begin to pray into it. But I just sense that that's, we can do something there. And uh, I'd like to have this place full of military. I really would. And uh, soldiers need... Soldiers need to die for the gospel's sake, as well as, you know, the whole, the whole idea of war is to get the other fella to die before you. That's the whole idea of war, that I know it doesn't work out that way. But you know, in, in the kingdom, Christ died for us. If I use it respectfully, the other fella died for us, so that we can have life, and have life abundantly. Amen? So, uh, I think all the, have all the kids gone, haven't they? Yeah, so it's not like... Don't, don't anymore go, will you? Oh, kids in the church need to go, sorry. I'm following them, I'm going with them. If you've got your Bible, turn to Psalm 45. You know, this morning we had no drummer and Ralph says, I've got two hands, I'll have a go. Ralph steps in there, he, listen, listen, he went to the live show. He went to the live show, he hit the goal button, he went live to the live show, and that's it. It was brilliant. Well done, Ralph. That doesn't mean to say anyone can go and play the piano next week. It doesn't. He said he used to play the drums. So, same for me, I've got two sticks, I'd be hitting everything. I do well enough holding the guitar in the right hand. But okay, Psalm 45, verse 1. If you want a title for this morning's message, it's called God's Tailor. God or God is your tailor. I'm going to start something and we're not going to finish it all today, but we're hopefully going to go on a journey. Psalm 45, 1 says, My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses to the king. We did that this morning. We recited our verses to the king and hopefully your mountains began to shake, rattle and roll. Yeah, My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. It's important that when your heart gets stirred, your mouth follows. Tell the person at the side of you, your mouth must follow your heart. Because you never have a problem, listen, you never have a problem when it's negative. Your mouth always speaks when it's negative. Why? It, it speaks what's in the heart. But when it comes to the, the positive things of God, your heart must, your mouth must follow your heart. Yeah? You are the most excellent of men and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. Gird up your sword upon your side, almighty one. Clothe yourself with splendor and majesty and in your majesty ride forth victoriously in behalf of truth humility and righteousness let your right hand display awesome deeds to have your heart to have had your heart stirred by a noble theme means your heart is soft it means it's open and it's pliable if god can stir my heart and your heart very easily it means there's something that is um, easy movable god can move things around i want god to move things around in my heart and I want him to do it in your heart. Now, hopefully, your desire and my desire matches his desire. So when I open my heart, I say, God, go on, rearrange it. Rearrange the parts in me, oh God, that don't play the right tune. Yeah, think about it. Rearrange me, oh God, in such a way that when you hit me, there's a harmonious melody that rings from my life. I don't want that, you know, I see a picture of the, what do they call it? Um... Uh, you love. Yeah, no, it's not a tune. You know, you know the, um, 
the pipes that come and, and you just hit them. It's like that, yeah, yeah. Something, oh, we'll call it xylophone, then okay. It's not the actual thought I've got in my mind, but it's okay. Ah, tubular bells. That's it. Well, I'll go with them. Mike Oldfield, we'll go with that. No, not that one. Um, and the thing is, if you get those bars in the wrong place, you get a clash. And what God wants to do is remove, uh, move the parts in your heart around, Andrea. So when he hits you, everything plays. Everything's in tune. Everything's in sequence. That's the word I want, sequence. Right? And I don't mean sequence on a address. I mean sequence in order. God wants us in order. Amen? So when he hits us, we play that wonderful tune. And that's what releases that fragrance to the Lord. Amen? And uh, God's going for that, and uh, hopefully we're going to position ourselves for God to do that in us. Once God access into the human heart, once God has access into the human heart, once God has access, it's an amazing, it's amazing to think the work he can do. It's an amazing thing to think the deliverance you can experience. It's amazing to think the healing you can have. It's amazing to... To, uh, for God to reveal his mysteries to you once he can get into your heart. Yeah? And he can bring liberty that's been long overdue. Long overdue. So when we read in verse 3 of Psalm 45, we read that word, clothe yourself. There's something you've got to do. And as much as God has to do an awful lot in us. There are things that you have to do. And part of it is clothing yourself in splendor and majesty. These two things have to be done by you. We often wait for God to do things, and that's right in some aspects of our life. But there's many things that you and I have to do in order to get God moving on our case. Yes? Clothing yourself... Clothing yourself is a responsibility. So you need to know, where are your garments? Where do I keep my garments called splendor and majesty? Think about it. Now, they're not part of your wardrobe, your physical wardrobe, but they are part of your spiritual wardrobe. Yes? The Bible tells us God has supplied everything we need for life and for godliness. Now, it also says, and I forget where it says it, but I know it says it. As soon as I say it, you'll know. Find out what pleases the Lord. So if I know, so that if I know that God has supplied things for me, it's my responsibility and your responsibility to find out what actually has been supplied and then find out how to please him with what has been supplied. Yes? Find out what pleases the Lord. That's your responsibility. Clothe yourself in majesty and splendor. He allows you to clothe yourself in his own majesty and in his own splendor. He allows you. Because you are a son and a daughter. And he's given you those garments so that you can clothe yourself. Beautiful, eh? But in order to put things on, sometimes you have to take things off. And that's a big Part of ADT training, taking things off, putting things down, stepping away from before you can then put things on. Yes? You know, I take clothes off and so do you do before I go into bed. Now you may put some people go to bed like they're sleeping outside. They do. <laughs> I don't know if you're expecting an Arctic rush in the middle of the night, but some people go to bed armor-plated. And some people just go to bed, I will say, naked. Yeah? And it's, it strikes me that they've got to take things off to put things on, to take things off, to put things back on again. And it's like, dear me, that's, that's hard work. Just get a better duvet or get a warmer partner. <laughs> Now the word splendor, let me tell you what the word splendor means. If you're going to clothe yourself in splendor, let me tell you what, actually what that word means. The word splendor means great beauty that attracts admiration and attention. 
great beauty that attracts admiration and attention. Now, I want a bit of that. And I don't want that admiration for others. I don't want to put beauty and admiration on so others can see me and be attracted to me. This is talking about put beauty and attraction on so that you attract him. Your relationship must be one of beauty and it must be one of admiration and attention. This is what God's looking for. So he says, I want you to put that on. I want you to wear that garment, Dream Center, so I'm attracted and through your attraction, I, I give you attention and you give me attention. And then there's this wonderful intimacy. that Because when you're attracted to some, someone, you move towards them. Yeah? In your heart. Now, you know, in the natural, you can't always move towards something you're attracted because you may already be inclined. You may already be married. That's called naughty. That's called naughty. You then have to control your heart and say, well, I recognize this woman or this man is a good looking. That's where it stops. You know, I'm not the only good looking person around. and You're not the only good looking person around. Right? You'll find there are millions of the suckers around the planet. Good looking people. You cannot give your heart to all the good looking people you see. Because I got the one, I, ma- I made my choice, buy nice or buy twice. And I, got, I bought once and I keep, I keep hold of the one I've got. And I have to keep falling in love with her over again and finding ways. I have to put on that attraction, that admiration and that attention. That's hard. It's hard. But... By the grace of God, it's called aftershave, admiration. It's called attention, you know. <laughs> Can you buy Splendor? We should, we should, hey, we should market our own perfume, Splendor. I'm joking. It also refers to beautiful places, you know, uh, with beautiful features and qualities. Yeah, hopefully that's what we want the Dream Center to be. A beautiful place with beautiful qualities so that when people come, they... See the splendor and majesty that's on the people. What makes the church with a difference? You. This church is not a church with a difference if you're no different. We're just the same church. Oh, our music might be different. Our worship might be slightly different than other people. But that's not the difference. The difference is the people. Yeah? And if you haven't got splendor or on it, then there's something wrong. And then the word majesty means... Sovereign, power, authority. Now, here's another word I'm going to give you. Or dignity. Quality and character. So let's combine these two together. Great beauty that attracts and gets attention. With sovereign power, authority, dignity, quality and character. That's what God is asking you and I to put on. He's given you his power. He's given you his authority. He says, put it on. He's given you his beauty. Put it on. Wear it. And that song always comes to me, that Rod Stewart song, because she wears it well. You know that song? Okay, it's gospel according to Rod Stewart. So he wants you to put on beauty that attracts admiration and attention with sovereign power, authority, dignity, and quality of character. Quality of character. Our God has an absolutely sublime, outstanding quality of character. He's holy. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's true. Yes? So when you step into him, that's what, you, that's what he clothes you with as you step into him. Yes? Dignity. You know, I don't know about you, but I am a creature from the dust. Yeah? You were born, but when you go back to mankind, mankind came from the dust. Yeah? The dust isn't so much all that significant, but what I find about this is that God scoops up a piece of dust and he forms it. He forms it. 
A piece of dust, he picks it up. He forms it and then he breathes his own life into that dust. And he becomes a man. It comes alive and he forms and he shapes and he clothes and he protects. And he says, you are my beloved. From the dust. From the dust. The Bible says from the dust she came. The dust. And then he made all, he made us in the image of himself. So he made us in beauty, attraction, attention. He made us in power. He made us through authority. He made us with dignity. But the quality of character has to be formed on the earth. He wasn't made with quality character. You have to be formed and fashioned. Your character has to be built on the earth. Yes? And he's built in so many, many ways. You and I have eternal significance. Can you see this? You and I have eternal significance and God wants you to step into that eternal significance here today. So he says, clothe yourself in majesty. Clothe yourself in splendor. Isaiah 51. <coughs> Isaiah, sorry, 52. Isaiah 52. He says, Awake, awake, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Clothe yourself. So we see that there's an, a, a responsibility to clothe ourselves with strength, splendor, majesty, strength. Well, how do I clothe myself with strength? Well, I've got to get into the word and I've got to let that word embrace me and I must embrace that word. I must embrace fear, look it in the eye and knock it on the head rather than run away from it. I must stand and I must speak what God has said, not what I'm feeling. Because what God has said is greater than what I'm feeling. Though what I'm feeling may be real, right, to me, God's word is above. And as I step into God and God's word, I clothe myself. I clothe myself with splendor. I clothe myself with majesty. Because when I feel bad about myself and I step into, and I put clothe, uh, clothe myself with majesty and splendor, I'm clothing myself with the opposite often with what I feel. I feel dirty, I feel, I feel cheap, I feel used. But when I stand into, and I clothe myself with, with splendor, I, I'm attractive. I'm attentive. Yeah? So it depends what I want to clothe myself with. Will determine whether I walk in freedom or not. Walk in, so he says, awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. Time and time again through the scripture, we re keep reading, put on your garments of splendor. God is saying, I've given you certain things, it's up to you to dress yourself with them. Yeah. Dignity, Chris, dignity. What an amazing word dignity is. The uncircumcised and the defiled will not enter you again. Hear that word. The uncircumcised and the defile will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned. That's your position. Yes? O Jerusalem, free yourself from the chains on your neck. O captive daughter of Zion, for this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing... And without money, you will be redeemed. You may have sold yourself cheap. But redemption cost him everything. So every now and then when we take communion, that's our remembrance day. That's our remembrance moment. Remember we said, was it last week or the week before? There is reflection, there is celebration, and there is declaration when we take communion. The three must come together. There's reflection. There's celebration. 
and there's a new proclamation that's been made. And we do this until he comes again. So we proclaim his death, his resurrection, and his return. That's how communion should be taken. So here we see... Awake, that's the first step. Awake, shake yourself off. Stand up, he says. Stand up, awaken. Look at yourself in the mirror. Clothe yourself. Clothe yourself, why? Because he's asking you to do something that's, that's well within your capability. Yeah. He's not asking you to do something that's not in your capability. You can clothe yourself or he wouldn't be asking you. But you, just, you must know what you've been given. Clothe yourself what? With strength, first of all. Strength to face the situation. Strength to face how I feel. Strength to face the next day. Strength to face the people who make me feel the least. Strength to overcome my sickness. Strength to stand and be a witness. Strength. Strength, strength. Put on your garments of splendor. The uncircumcised and the defiled will not enter you. See, when you clothe yourself with these garments, things will not enter you again. This is the key to guarding your heart. Clothe yourself with splendor and Majesty. Very often, when people get hurt, big Christians get hurt, they get hurt because they take off things and let people enter in. And the heart becomes the entrance point into the mind. So he says, if you put it on, things will not enter you again. That's a promise. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Yeah? You know, every time I go next door in that boiler room, I have to shake off the dust. I don't have to walk in. Somehow I just walk in like that, not touching anything. I end up always having to brush dust off. Dust stains. That's what the Bible says. Somehow it attaches itself to you and gets embedded in the garment. Yeah? And even sometimes when you shake the dust on, depending how long the dust has been on there, you have to wash it then. It won't come off depending what fabric you've got. Yeah? Sometimes I have to go in the kitchen and wash myself down, my clothes, because the dust won't come off. So he says, shake off, that's one step. Rise up, two. Sit enthroned, position yourself in Christ. Position yourself in Christ. If you don't position yourself in Christ, things will enter you. Our greatest challenge is to position ourselves to rise up, shake off. Now, the thing is about, about shaking off is, let's just say, Phil, I need to shake Phil off. A man I have respect for, love, dearly. Might not like him today, depending on how the result goes, but I'll embrace him. <laughs> but let's just say I have to shake his words off me because they're not good for me. There are some times when I may have to do that with relationships. I have to rise up and shake it off. But if you're the one being shaken off, listen to me, if you're the one being shaken off, you won't understand what's going on. But the person on the other person feels defiled by what you're saying. So the instant thing is there is, I can either let what you're saying enter me or I've got to rise up and shake off what you're saying. And if you're the person that's being shaken off, you may not have a clue what's going on. But I'm telling you, every one of us, from time to time, need to shake each other off. Because we have the capability of saying the wrong stuff. True? So, if every time I say to Chris, I come back to Chris, and I keep coming back to what's been said, Chris, shake it off. If Chris keeps coming back to something I said or did, and it's inside him, and every time we talk, he brings it back to memories, Chris needs to shake something off. He needs to go and clothe himself again. 
because something's entered into him and it keeps coming out trying to enter into me. So we have to be mindful of this. If something keeps coming back time and time again, it needs shaking off. Or let me give you another Mancunian term. It needs knocking on the head. Can you see that? So we, we shake off the dust, we rise up, and we sit enthroned. This is a very, very key thing for us to understand. Jerusalem, free yourself. Again, he keeps saying, you do it. It's so, much, it's so, oh, should I say, so often we sit there waiting for God to liberate us. He said, guys, I've already liberated you. Walk in freedom. Walk in freedom. Well, how do I walk in freedom? Get to know me. Get to know my word. Apply it. It amazes me, you know, like when sometimes you sit in churches and you've got one side of the church who are all bound up and one side of the tree that's one side of the, the, the church that's free. And they'll tell you why life is unfair, and yet these lot will tell them why they should shut up and grow up. And yet, how is it one side of the church can enter into the freedom of God with what's being spoken? what they're receiving, and yet the other side still remain captives and think that life's not fair. Why is the two groups of people in any church think like that? So it can't be, this side can't look at them and say, you're wrong. They've got to be the answer. So really what this side should do is go over to them and say, how did you get free? Rather than sit there and complaining about life's not this, life's not that, life's not this. Go and talk to the ones who are getting it working and ask them. To me, that's just common sense. But only in church do we have two divisions of people saying, well, they've got something I didn't have. No, you haven't. I'll tell you what they did do. They took what they was given and they applied it. Your pro- listen, listen to this really strongly. Your problem is not truth. Your problem's applying it. Your problem is not the truth. The truth's out there. Your problem is applying it. It's always going to come down to what you can apply in life. That is the determining factor. Every time. So, free yourself from the chains on your neck. This is how much they, they, they become enslaved, enslaved, I should say. Up to the neck. Some people are up to the neck in slavery. Up to the neck. Mm. The heart's in slavery. The feet's in slavery. The hands are in slavery. The only thing that's left is the mouth. And that's what got them in slavery. (laughs) There's a statement right there. Put on the garments. Put on the garments. We sang about the mountains this morning. You know, God is merciful. He lets your mouth open so at least you can declare. The same mouth that got you in trouble can get you out of trouble. Absolutely. So, for this is what the Lord says, you were sold for nothing and without money. In other words, you were cheap. But I've redeemed you now. Everything changes because I... You see, let me just use an illustration a second as it comes to my mind here. When Manchester City was in massive debt, it took a rich Arab to come and buy the debt. That club would never have survived if that Arab wouldn't have bought that club. And he, he absorbed all the debt and then he put extra funds in. That's what Jesus Christ did. He absorbed all the debt. And he put extra in. And now you're a premier winner. Now you're a champion in God's eyes. Amen? So, this picture here is a, is a picture of a people who have allowed themselves to become enslaved. They allowed themselves to become enslaved. They opened up their hearts and gave it over 
piece by piece, little by little, but increasingly they gave their lives over to the wrong things, they put the wrong garments on, and they become enslaved. That's how enslavery comes. We become enslaved by the wrong interests. We, we become enslaved when we allow deceitfulness into our hearts. Yeah? We become enslaved when we worship the wrong things. Oh yeah, for sure. But he says, free yourself. In other words, you know the truth, get back to the truth, and free yourself. You've got the key. And this is where Christians keep waiting for God to come and move and liberate them again. He says, no, now I need repentance. The key to your liberation and your freedom is your repentance. I don't have to die again for you. I've done it. Repentance is what you need. So if you want to keep in freedom, guys, live and have adopt a life of repentance. Keep short accounts with the Lord. Yeah, because when you don't when you don't learn to repent quickly, you become a captive and enslaved by your own actions. And then you blame God and you're saying, God's not got me free. God's not set me free. He says, son, I'm still waiting for your repentance. The moment you repent, God is able, just and able to forgive. It's your own prison. God did not liberate you only. God liberated you and then put you into freedom. The moment you, the first day you became a Christian, you was free. Totally, 100% free. And then after that, he said, follow me. And it's in that following, somehow, we get mixed up again. Messed up again. True? It is another startling effect. You, you know, you chose the clothes that you wear. Mummy didn't choose you for you this morning, your clothes. <laughs> Mummy didn't choose for you. Hello, Mum, what should I wear? She didn't say, all your clothes are on your bed, darling. Did she? No. Uh, I don't know, she might have done for you because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're not wearing that. I say to the wife, honey, where's that shirt? She says, it's in the wardrobe. What wardrobe? I didn't know I had one. Or sometimes you walk down, the classic one for the man is you walk down into the living room and the wife goes, you're not going out in that here. What, 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 what? She knows something you don't know. <laughs> Every one of us is wearing clothes we chose. Every one of us. If you're wearing somebody else's clothes this morning... At least, hopefully, you told them before you put them on. And, and, and guys, if you're wearing anything to your wife, you're in trouble. Yeah? <laughs> we choose the garments that we wear in life, practically, physically. Because why? Very often our garments, we want our garments to reflect the inner beauty. And we want to be attractive by wearing them. And I'm not saying, when I say attractive, let me explain that. I'm not saying we're trying to flirt. We just want to present ourselves in a presentable manner. Maybe the word attractive is not the right word there. Acceptable, yeah. Acceptable manner, which is a form of attraction. It's not an obstacle. We all fit in. Yeah? So many of the garments that we wear we allow or we have allowed others to put on us. Many of the garments that we wear in life have been placed on us by others through their words and through their actions. And uh, they stain us and they make us look ugly on the inside or they make us feel ugly on the inside. And the wrong garment on anyone after a while will change their nature and their personality. It will make them sullen, dour, dr drawn back. You see, some people are drawn back. 
And you try and get someone, the older they become, to see this. It can be, a, it can be an amazing internal wrestle or it can be an amazing liberation. When people see how when other people have put garments on and once they see that somebody, the way they feel is due to somebody else's actions and they want to get rid of it, it's amazing the liberty that you feel when you're not wearing that garment, that cloak anymore that weighs you down. And now you're free. So first of all, we take off the clothes that bring weight and entanglement upon our lives. That's the first rule of a disciple, to take off the old life. Put on Christ. And once we put on the new garment of splendor and majesty, we begin to see ourselves as Christ sees us. Can you see this? Can you see this, church? Garments are accumulated over time, over circumstances, over trials, over events. Over tragedies, we psychologically, consciously, emotionally put them on, and yet sometimes we are psychologically, emotionally unconscious of how it got on. And this is why the Spirit of God has to come and speak to us, and He has to peep behind the dark curtains of our life, And with his light, it only needs a pinprick of light to expose what's negative in your life. Yeah? And then when that light shines in and he begins to shine it specifically, consciously, deliberately into a specific area in your life, instantly you begin to see, this is not the garment I was born for. From the moment we're born, a garment's put on us. True? The moment we're born, a garment is put on us. And the moment we're born, words are spoken. The moment the child is taken home, the environment is taken into, garments are put on psychologically, emotionally, physically. All these kind of things. And we're shaped and we wear these things. Now some of those garments have really helped us and done us a lot of good. But every now and then, It only takes one home, one child, one parent to mess it up and a child's scarred and it carries. It only takes one husband, one wife, one boss to mess it up on our lives and we end up wearing somebody else's clothes for the rest of our lives. And the first thing the prodigal son said when he came back, the first thing he put a robe on him. Put a robe on him. The first thing you do when you come to the Father is he puts a robe of righteousness on you. Yeah? But somehow, this robe of righteousness gets put off because the other stuff has entangled us. And we put what God is trying to put on us, we throw it to one side because the other garments are always speaking to us. They're always limiting us, always containing us. They become mountains in our life. And then what happens is we get bogged down. So we throw the one thing off that can do us good and we keep the other garments on that do us bad and weigh us down. And what God is saying is, take them off so that the robe of righteousness now becomes your covering and your protection. Can you see this? It's so important that we get... This garment of splendor and majesty on us. So in Isaiah 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. So there's something that's on you. And it's on you for a specific say It's on you for a specific reason, a specific purpose. It's given to do a work. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because. The Lord has anointed me and has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Right, to to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Right, so there's one garment given to go and remove darkness, captivity, 
from others. You see this? One garment is given in order to go and remove many other garments that have brought death and, and limitation and containment on other people's lives. So he says, the Spirit of the Lord has given me. So he put it on. Because there's the purpose. He's anointed me. So it's a scented, it's a scented garment that Jesus wears. And he's, this garment allows me to bind up the brokenhearted. It's a garment. Brokenheartedness is a garment. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them, bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The joy of, uh, sorry, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. And a garment of praise. Instead of a spirit of despair. So the garment of praise breaks that spirit of despair. Now listen, we come back to what we said this morning. If you're going to move the mountains, you've got to use your mouth. So as the garment comes on you and that spirit of despair tries to conceal and rob and steal everything, your mouth must declare what's coming through, the freedom that's coming to you. As I put on that cloak, and it breaks the yoke, that yoke being broken gives me permission, freedom, to take off what has been limiting me and containing me. It gives me permission, legal permission. And I must then declare my freedom. This is why so many churches, it's so important, you know, that when you come to a church, it's important that the praise and worship is, what I'm going to say now, it's not so much we, we've got a good charismatic worship team. That's not what I'm talking about. When you look in a church, you need to see if the worship that is being provided has liberty in it. So we can have great music. And the people can be singing great songs, but there's no liberty in the people. All they can do is sing. That's all they know the program to do. They play, we sing. They play, we sing. But the moment an instruction comes from the front, take that garment off, do some, declare, build in the spirit, there's nothing in the people. There's no liberty in the house. There's worship, but there's no liberty in the worship. Can you see this? This is why sometimes when you come in, I sense it in the spirit that there's, you've got the wrong garments on. And instantly I can just pick up the tune. It's not what we sing. It's the tune, the, vita, the frequency that is emanating from you, the congregation. Don't ask. I know ask. I know ask. That's not sound English, does it? I used to say, don't ask me how, but now I know how. Because the Lord has tuned me to a frequency, that bell. And I just know that we're in this room. This is not acceptable. This is not good enough. This is captivity speaking. This is passivity speaking. This is idleness speaking. This is tiredness speaking. This is trouble speaking. All these voices are in this room at that one moment. My job is when I pick that microphone up to hear it and then bring you to that place. Why? Because the moment I shut down... There's no expression, no instruction. Whoever the leader is, there's got to be liberty. There's got to be freedom. So we're teaching the young'uns how to lead. So straight away, now they think it's just about leading and the mechanics, leading the song, getting the picture, good morning, church, and all that's relevant and all that is right. But at some point, when they've done all that, they're going to have to learn to lead worship. They're going to have to learn to tune the spirit to what's needed. Not what's coming out. Because everyone can be buoyant. And there can be a load of tickets in the room. Right? But it's still not liberty. It's called learned behavior. You've got to understand this. So we have to tune people. Why? Because what the, what the tuning fork does, it allows you to get free and take off the garments that you've come in with. I'm sure there's a fellow at the door putting garments on people when they walk through the door. 
If you see a fella flogging coats out there, let me know. Because in here, our job is to take them off. Lay every weight aside. Everything that entangles you, lay it down. So that's why worship has to have liberty in it. Why? Because praise is a garment. And it has to come out of your mouth. And very often the mouth is the mountain containing you. You ask some people to dance. You go to, you go to a, if we went to a wedding and we all started dancing, we'd all be. I mean, I see John at the wedding. I see him getting his African moves on. I'm thinking, boy, that boy's got some moves. And then Edna comes in. Way, can that woman dance? See, I, it don't look cool when, when I do it. But when he does it, he just stands, his feet don't move, and it's like we've just got to move. And, you know, you're thinking, why is it when they do it, they look cool, but when we do it, so your kids say, Dad, sit down. There's something about these, these brothers, they've got move. So I'd like to see some of that in church. You know, some of us white guys need to learn some moves. Because I'm not white. I'm not white. Not when it comes to church. Not when it comes to the kingdom. I'm not going to let. He's not black. He's my brother. If I see him as black and he sees me as white, we'll always see a difference in each other. I'm not blind. I know I haven't got the same tan as him. But I don't see black John. He doesn't see white Tony. That's my brother. It's a garment. If he has a black garment and I have a white garment on, they're, they're not garments God gave us. We got grafted into the same family. Amen. You're called John Christ. I'm called Tony Christ. We're not the Christ. We belong to Christ. Amen? So he said, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, listen, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So in other words, he wants you to be attractive. He wants you to, let's go back to that, um, what it says there, uh, admiration. He wants you to look and have attention. He wants you to have character, glory, beauty, majesty, sovereignty, power in you. Because Christ is in you. The hope of all glory. Amen. So awake, O Zion, clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. So we see, first of all, awake, come to attention. Arrest it in you. Arrest it within you. Clothe yourself. Second step. You first you arrest the containment. Second is you clothe, you put on. And then not only do you clothe yourself, you clothe yourself with strength. You can't put on just anything. Put on garments of splendor. Be very clear what you're picking up. Dignity. The quality of character. So he says in Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon, look how the garments do something to the lover. Just watch in this scripture how when you put the garment of splendor and majesty on, look what it does to the lover pursuing you. How delightful. Song of Solomon, sorry, verse, chapter 4, verse 10. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 10. How delightful is your love, sister, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness and honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. Notice the mouth is clean. The fragrance of your garments is like that of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are my spring enclosed, a seal fountain. Wow. I kind of think 
if I put that on and God says that to me, I'm, I'm pretty hot right now. I'm pretty hot right now. In other words, my lover is seriously intent in pursuing me. If that's how God feels about me and you, then you're looking rather hot today. Yeah? yeah. Now, some of you won't allow yourself to think like that. Because you think, especially some men, we're not used to that kind of language. But this is your lover speaking. Your lover is Christ himself. Now, let's not think practically man versus man. This is Christ. Amen? So when Christ says these things to you, you as a man must have your heart soft. Only God can soften. And that's why you've got to, this theme's got to become noble within you. Because you'll never recite your verses to the king if there's nothing noble inside of you. How delightful is your love? My sister, my brother, my bride, because we're both part of the bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any spice? Your lips drop sweetness and honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. So you know, when she speaks, she speaks in such a way that she's sweet with her lips the words are just right. They attract him. They draw him into your presence because your words are like honey. Milk refreshes. You know, is God refreshed in your presence? Not whether you're refreshed in his presence. Does, is God ever refreshed by your presence? Think about that. So often we want God to refresh us. But how, when was the last time you were refreshing to him? You know, Paul says, it does me good to see my sons walking in love. Paul was refreshed by what others did. Was it John? Was it Paul or John? John said it. In 1 John, 2 John, one of those books. But to refresh, you, you're, listen, this is, the, this is the seat of encounter. Does your presence refresh Almighty God? Now, as you're encountering God, that should be your goal. To refresh the heart of my Lord by my behavior, by my words, by my sincerity, by my heartfelt, put a word in there you want, so our job is to refresh him. And as we refresh him, he encounters us. And then we are refreshed. Oh, I tell you, that's a, that is a line on its own. We have a passion for his presence. I said we, have, we must have a passion for his presence. A clear, full-on passion for his presence. To refresh the heart of our Lord. And in turn, he will encounter us. And then together, we will both be encountered. So under your tongue. So every time you get before the Lord, is your prayer full of, God, sort her out, sort him out. Is it full of contention? Or is it a time, are there many times in your life when you say, you know what, I'm not going to pray about me today. I'm not going to talk about me today. Me, me, myself and I are not going in there. I'm just going to stand before him. I'm going to sing songs to him. I'm going to whisper love songs. I'm just going to refresh the heart of my father. And then when you get to that place, then you find liberty. Because now you've got no other agenda other than to speak to him about him. And it's not you. I'm not saying praying for you is wrong. We're not saying that. We're saying how much of you is in that room. Put me, myself, I to one side. That's called the fleshly trinity. Me, myself, and I. And what you should do is, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost who is in me will lead me into his presence. And we will fellowship. 
together. But me, myself and I will stay outside there until we get permission to come in. And then when me, myself, me, me, when there is, my heart is clean and I've refreshed him, then he says, bring your friends back in. Me, myself and I. Okay, which one's going to pray first? Me, no, myself, I. But try and keep them out for a while and see, learn how to cultivate his presence. Try and keep you out of it for a while. I'm not saying it's wrong. Listen to what, listen to what I am saying, not what I've not said. I'm not saying you praying for you is wrong. I am saying you need to cultivate the presence of God without you making requests. Just love on God, as the Americans say. Love on God. Refresh his presence. Refresh him by your presence in his presence. Your presence in his presence. Amen? And you'll find... You'll come out there a million dollars. Yeah? The mountains would have gone, exactly. The mountains would have gone. Just sing yourself happy. It is. So Solomon says, how, you know, how delighted in, is your love? How, how delighted is God in your love for him? My bride... Let there be honey and milk found under your tongue. Ooh. Let honey and milk be found under your tongue in the presence of God. Where you just say everything that is just needs to be said. And it's right. And, just, and don't expect to be rewarded. Do not be expecting a reward. Well done. Well done. I'm really proud of it. I'm really glad you did that. Walk out. And guess what? Do it again tomorrow. And then do it again. And then do it again until it becomes a habit. And do it again until it becomes a nature. Why don't you just go, see how long you can go without praying about you. And learn that his presence. You know, in this church there's loads of needs. But very often, I won't pray for you. I'll just go and be with him. He knows the needs. And then other times, I'll pray for you. And I'll pray for, for my needs. But more often than not, I don't pray about my own needs. You have become my need. You have become my need. Because I've, I've got this thought that if I take care of God's business, he'll take care of mine. Yeah? And, uh, but there are some things I need to pray for, especially my kids, because they're backslid. Some of, two of them are. But, and I pray for them, and I pray for some of your kids. And I pray for all kinds of things. But I really think in this season... It's a time of just refreshing him. Putting that garment of praise on. Clothe yourself in majesty and splendor, church. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's make, let's make a whole new history of where we're at. Does that sound good? It sounds fantastic to me. And let's finish now. Exodus 28, verse 2, last scripture. We're going. He says, make, Exodus 28, verse 2, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron. Listen to what he says. To give him dignity and honor. Make sacred garments. To give him dignity and honor. What did we just say dignity meant? We said it means beauty, attraction, authority, or I should say sovereignty, power, authority, or dignity, quality of character. God was saying, if you're going to be my priest, if you are going to become part of the priesthood of all believers, because that's what we are, church, we, God has made us the priesthood of all believers, so we can go behind the veil we can go into his courtroom, we can go into his throne with thanksgiving and prayer and we have confidence to ask him what we need. But we're not going to ask him what we need in this season. We're going to just refresh his presence. You know, when my son picks up the phone off and Ben, love him dearly, I'll say, what do you want, son? Now, when I say, what do you want, son? He just thinks that's a greeting. No, I mean, what are you after? 
Do you know why? Because normally, nine times out of ten, he's after something. So I'll say, what do you want, son? And I'm very surprised sometimes when he says, nothing, Dad, I'm ringing you up because this what to blah, 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 blah. Surely there's got to be some reason why anyone rings anybody up. But Ben normally wants something. And the thing is, is, I say to Ben, do you think you can just ring me up and just chat sometimes? I don't do chatting well, Dad. I don't do chatting well. Well, learn, son, learn. Where the girls... You know, my granddaughters. I mean, I got a phone call from my granddaughter not so long ago, and I was surprised. First time she called me on the phone. And it's like such sweet. I was melting on the end of the phone. My granddaughter talking, and like, oh, Carol's saying, who are you talking to? I said, I'm talking to this beautiful woman. Who? And I said, it's Ella. And uh, beautiful. So where your granddaughter on the phone? And then little one comes in, and she starts, and then the conversation changes. And, but, it's, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful when you're your own kids talking to you on the phone, grandkids talking to you on the phone. But here it says, make sacred garments. Over this period of time, the work has already been done for you. You don't have to make any garments because God has already supplied them. But guess what? Those garments are to give you dignity and honor in his presence. You are a priest. A priest needs a garment. Priests need garments. Now, if this was in America, we'd probably be selling the new garments. And we get you to all buy them and uh, convince you, give you some daft scripture that you all need to buy new garments. Save your money, put it, keep it in your pocket. We're not selling garments. We're not selling holy water. We're not selling anything. We're giving wisdom. Amen. But let's give, let's, let's wear some dignity and honor in his presence. Let's stand to our feet, if we will, please. <clears throat> Tell all the skilled men to whom I've given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration. This, when you go into God's presence to refresh him, consecrate yourself. Give yourself. Because he's looking for the garment, the priestly garment he originally gave you. Amen? Go in. You are, listen, you go in it as a child, but don't act like a kid. Go in as a child, but don't act like a kid. In other words, we come by faith, childlike faith. But show, show some honor and dignity when you come in. So though you're children, you're not kids. Yes? Kids always ask for themselves. Yeah? They've always got an agenda. If Harper and Ella, or if Ella, if Harper comes in, she'll ask for a biscuit for Ella. <laughs> knowing that if you give Ella one, you're going to give her one. So her motive is to ask for a biscuit knowing she's going to get one. But I asked it for Ella, really. It's a smart conspiracy that she's got going. So, the, so parents look through that and say, do you mean you want one? No, no, I'm asking for Ella. And Ella stands back and say, was it me? It was her. But if she's going to give me one, I'll take it. <laughs> so there's, there's an agenda here. So we come in as children, but we don't act like kids. So let's raise our hands. Dignity and honor. And I would like you, if you put, to put your hand on your heart, sorry, I've asked you to raise your hand, put your hand on your heart, and say to the Father, Father, now you pray this yourself, don't pray it out loud, pray it to yourself. Lord, I want to pursue you. I want to encounter you over these 40 days. Lord, take me beyond a habit and develop a nature in me. I'm going to pursue you, Lord, just for you. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to put any demands. I'm not going to put any requests other than knowing you, Lord. I want to know you. Teach me your ways that I may know your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Come before the Lord with that 
in your heart. And I'm telling you, over these 40 days, you're going to be a transformed person. If you can put you to one side and keep out of that place until God comes through, I'm telling you, you'll be a different man, a different woman, and we will be a different church. And that church is where we must be. I can't go in your room for you. You have to do it. You've got to do it. We started, we've had a strong week this week. We had a fantastic Sunday night. Fantastic, very powerful. God really set the scene for us. On Wednesday night, sorry, Thursday night, we prayed and we prayed some sensible stuff. So I'm really proud of you, church. But I really, what I really want you to really work on is when we're not worshipping, carry the same intensity in prayer. I know you've got intensity to worship, but we need intensity to pray, to push and pray. Amen? And that comes out of you being in his presence. So, Father, seal this morning. We thank you, O God, for what you're doing in our midst. We love you immensely. And we say, Father, we're going to encounter you like never before. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Amen.